What's up, guys? It's Mickey, and welcome back to another episode of Blank Canvas. All right, all right, all right. How is my BK fan feeling? I hope you guys are feeling well, doing well mentally, um, financially, spiritually, emotionally, in every single way that you can. And if you can't, please keep holding on. Please keep choosing life and take it one day at a time. So in our beginning intro, I want to jump into some really important news. We talk about student loans often here on this podcast, and I want to give an update to what's going on with them. So on July 2nd, I think, I think that was a Friday. You guys check me because, you know, I record out of order, but on July 2nd, if that was that Friday, the first Friday in um, June, the Senate approved the debt limit deal to avoid a U.S. default. The deal negotiated by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Joe Biden would raise the debt ceiling until 2025 while cutting some government spending. It now goes to, you know, Biden's this for a signing. I think at this point, the news is already out that he will sign. So this is going to pass. What this means for um, current student loan borrowers. So the debt limit deal includes new work requirements for recipients of some government benefits, nearly $21.4 billion of IRS budget cuts, and a provision that prevents Biden from extending the pause on federal student loan repayments without approval by Congress. However, the proposed legislation would not prevent Biden from pausing student loan payments during another qualifying emergency. And this isn't a direct quote or anything, but I did see something that came out of the Biden administration camp that was basically like, um, this, even though this was included, it's still really not that big of a deal because it's around the same time that we were going to restart them anyways, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I think it is a big deal for the simple fact of if we needed it to be extended, no matter what the courts ruled or not, you needed to have that leverage and to just get rid of that leverage to raise the debt ceiling, which probably could have been raised regardless because people didn't want people didn't want our world to shut down. Right. Or maybe they did. But who knows in America? Um, I think it's a big deal. They basically gave away their their big guns or one of their big smoking guns and they just settled. And out of all the things to give the other side, that wasn't the leverage that you needed to give. But at the same time, it's quote unquote, I think dumb, but quote unquote smart on their part because they get to pass the bulk to the other side, the Republicans, and be like, well, you know, we would have, but the Republicans tied our hands, even though they basically held out their hands and said, please tie me up, right? So those are the devils that we're dealing with. But what this means is that according to the bill, borrowers would be required to start paying loans 60 days after June 30th, putting it around August 29th at the latest. The Department of Education extended the pause on payments in November to give the Supreme Court time to review the challenge to Biden's loan forgiveness plan. The Federal Student Aid website says borrowers should receive a billing statement at least 21 days before their first payment is due, but to check with the loan providers in the meantime for a payment estimate and due date. Will each borrower have to pay interest again? Yes, they can. Are there ways for um, a borrower to stop on their own? 
Yes, you can temporarily stop payments if you qualify for deferment or forbearance. Interest will continue to occur in most cases. There is also an extended repayment plan with fixed or graduated monthly payments for up to 25 years that are usually lower compared to other repayment plans. And then, of course, the overall debt is being challenged. Debt forgiveness is being challenged by the Supreme Court. That should be ruled by the end of this month or the beginning of next month. So we'll have an update on that. And regardless, the Biden administration did put out there that whether this got approved or not, that uh, more than likely repayment plans or repayment of loans was going to start happening and that we were all going to have to basically suffer. Now, I just have to say, I'm not convinced because we've gone three years without them and nothing has really happened to the government. Nothing major has happened. But what I will say is adding another bill will not help us stimulate America's economy. Like we can't afford rent. We can't afford food at the grocery stores. At one point, we couldn't afford rent, food, or gas, the average person. So why in the hell would you think adding another bill is going to help us increase spending? Something isn't going to get paid. And <laughs> More than likely to be these student loans. I don't know where people are supposed to get an extra two to three hundred dollars a month. Even with the new IDR plan that should be cut down, it's still not enough. Like if people are barely making it with um now with their basic needs to be met, then my God, adding another bill isn't really helpful. It's stressful, but leave it to America to do that. Also, I just wanted to say that I keep saying that Biden keeps saying, I've created so many jobs. I've created so many jobs. But if all the jobs require the average person to work more than one or with their one job, they're still basically struggling to cover their basic needs, then you can create a billion jobs, but they're pretty much pointless billion, like a billion jobs that are pointless because you can't afford to live. Like we can't afford to live off of these salaries, these incomes, or they're going to have to stop raising rent. To be honest, they really need to lower it, not even stop raising it. You need to lower it. This is ridiculous. Like inflation is ridiculous. And to know that another bill is about to come, this is um, crazy, but it should be expected living over here in America. So I just wanted to give that update to you guys because I know that I have been periodically talking about student loans and the student loan forgiveness uh, throughout the process. So yeah, there's our quick little update. Payments will be restarting soon unless something magical happens. And if you're one of the people who can get all of your debt wiped out by the for overall loan forgiveness, fingers crossed for all my BK members that can do that. And I really, really hope that's possible because student loans are BS anyways. Okay. All right. So first thing I want to talk about in this week's episode is the difference between healthy relationships and toxic relationships, or not even really necessarily the difference between them, but I guess the concept behind why we think healthy relationships are boring and what is the excitement of the toxicity of a bad one. So I heard this statement made by somebody, it was a female, and she said that, you know, she was talking to another female and they were saying like, oh my goodness, you know, the sex with the toxic ones is amazing. It's like always some of the best sex that I've ever had. And um, one of the girls' therapists, I could be paraphrasing this wrong. These aren't exact words, but basically the girl's therapist was like, do you really enjoy the sex that much? Or is this the only time that this 
person shows you affection, connection, and some form of intimacy. Because any other time, y'all are either arguing, he's ignoring you, or maybe breadcrumbing you, or even if you're even getting breadcrumbed, like maybe sex is the only time where he actually quote unquote shows that he cares to give you quote unquote bare minimum attention. And when I heard that statement like that, I was like, wow, because I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. I've heard so many times, even since, and I'm only in my twenties, I remember being in like high school really probably even middle school and seeing people like in their different relationships and stuff. And it's like, if it was toxic, people were like, hell yeah. Like, oh, they're so cute. They're going to make it kind of thing. Or, you know, watching different friend groups go after some of their significant others that were either abusive or just manipulative and, or some were just mean, like some were really just mean people. And I used to think like, wow, like it starts this early. I can imagine what is the possibility for some of my fellow peers, relationships and marriages to look like. Thankfully for a lot of them, they either were single or they picked better. So I'm very, very happy about that. But it's kind of crazy, right? There's a there's a little adrenaline rush and to think like, oh, the reason I think the sex is so great is because this is the only time he pays attention. Imagine the sex being great and he pays attention to you all the time. Just saying. Like, I don't know why as human beings we thought that settling I, I don't who invented who invented settling who was the first person to settle why is this like a disease that spreads between human beings and it just won't stop it keeps growing like that's a pandemic a global pandemic within itself settling let's stop settling I don't we settle in so many areas of our lives not just relationships maybe work or in our dreams or just our own personal goals we just settle and settling is ugh. I don't like it. And so I don't want that for any of my BK fan members. I don't understand our obsession with settling and why we, I guess we just stop believing that we can really have it all or that, um, and I know having it all, you may not have it all at the same time. I've heard that. Or in order to maintain it all, you have to, you know, have balance and have help. But I don't know why we settle in any area of our life because it doesn't benefit us to settle. We're really cheating ourselves. And at what point do we stop believing in any area that we're settling that we don't deserve to have the things that we want? I don't know, but that's definitely something we need to work on. So from Psychology Today, I want to read this. A few. They have three bullet points that basically summarize why... Um, when people get in healthy relationships, they look at them as boring. So the first thing that they said is you're used to relationships that feel like emotional roller coasters, right? So you have a lot of highs and lows and ups and downs. And it says you're likely experienced a phenomenon known as intermittent reinforcement. So this can be similar to gambling and it gives you lots of anxiety because you never know when the next hit or relationship high is coming from. Even if there are more lows than highs, someone may hold on to the relationship hoping they can get back to the relationship highs that previously experienced. This sounds a little bit of a toxic bond to me, 
Do we remember that? If you don't, go back and check out that episode. It was a really, really good one. See if you've experienced a toxic bond. Have you been a part of one? Have you contributed to one? It's okay. No judgment. Let's just do a little better, all right? <laughs> and so, obviously, uh, our brains are hardwired to pay attention to novel stimuli. A stable and consistent relationship may be taken for granted because your brain has become adapted to the excitement that comes with experiencing a new relationship. This can be particularly true if you're used to relationships that often feel like emotional roller coasters. Okay. The next point that they had was you learned early on you had to overfunction in a relationship at the expense of yourself. That you had to overfunction in a relationship at the expense of yourself. So they said if you grew up in a home where one parent adopted the role of being the caretaker or enabler, you may have learned that love equals staying in a relationship at the expense of yourself. That love has to be earned, or that you need to be you need to prove yourself and fight for in order for the relationship to last. As an adult, you may find yourself most attracted to relationships where it feels natural for you to convince another of your worth. Adopt the caretaker role or attempt to manage your partner's mood by walking on eggshells around them. When you adopt the same role you witness growing up in your adult relationship, you feel at home because it feels so familiar. I can't tell you guys how often um, I've known different people and like the different dynamics in their relationships. And they're like, oh, I mean, I didn't even realize it was, you know, toxic because this was normal in my home. And I'm talked about this before but I remember having a friend and it's always stuck with me ever since she first said it but it was just like we were talking or whatever and basically I was so casually talking about how I thrive and like the chaos in my life and like it was no big deal to me and it was almost like um I can function better if my life is chaotic and she literally looked at me and she said wow, I never want chaos to become normal in my life. And, you know, a lot of people could have been offended by that. They would have been like, oh my God, what do you mean? Blah, 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 blah. But it wasn't like a dig or anything. That was the most eye-opening statement and I needed to hear it. And it literally has stuck with me all these years because that was my normal. Chaos was my normal. Chaos was what I saw, whether it was on purpose or not. And I didn't realize how well I had learned to function in it and how weird it felt when my life didn't feel chaotic. I had to learn what normal felt like. I had to learn what calmness felt like. Um, I had to learn what not consistently walking on eggshells felt like. It, and it was definitely an adjust an adjustment when you're used to something so um, different. So the article also said the pull towards this type of relationship dynamic and chemistry you experience may feel particularly strong, making it even more difficult to let go of an unhealthy relationship that mirrors the same dynamic you witnessed growing up. Consequently, when you encounter a healthy relationship, balanced relationship that doesn't require you to overfunction or sacrifice your authentic needs and feelings in order to maintain it, it may feel initially boring to you because the relationship is not being driven by a subconscious desire to save someone else or prove your worth. Doesn't that sound like an ego stroke though? Like your brain is basically being like, ooh, let's save them or ooh, let's let me prove my worth. And I know like that person can't help it. It may not, they may not purposely begin an ego stroke, but like when you break it down to that, isn't that kind of like an ego thing? Like, woe is me. Let me help you. Okay. Or 
please pick me kind of thing. I deserve to be picked. And I just think a lot of that goes back to being failed in your childhood by your parents or different experiences. Because maybe your parents gave it to you, but you experienced other family members or other friends or other relationships throughout your life that didn't. And ever since those moments or that specific moment, you've been constantly looking for that validation from that person and um and everybody else or in other things and it just doesn't always work that way so you already know my number one source who will make you feel complete is god you could be with the most perfect human being ever and they're still going to hurt you they're still going to fail you and um they can't fulfill you we weren't built to fulfill each other connect help each other be better yeah but be each other's ultimate end all be all no way because again why would we need god And the third point they have in the article is you've been conditioned to view the consistent and healthy relationships as boring. As you learn early on, that romantic love often involves unpredictability or inconsistency. You may be most drawn to partners who are avoidant or emotionally unavailable. When you have unresolved feelings about the relationship dynamics you experienced growing up, there may be a part of your subconsciously hoping that maybe this time around, Your experience would be different, which may look like you hoping you can move a partner from emotionally unavailable to available, improving your worth so they don't abandon you. Consequently, when you encounter a healthy relationship, consistent relationship that doesn't require you to repeat the same dynamic, it may feel like something is missing because the unusual tension isn't there and the relationship is not being driven by a subconscious desire to have a different experience. As a result, you may experience perceived the relationship is boring because it's not um enticing you at the same level of anxiety and uncertainty in your prior relationships did and that's just sad within itself to think like we want that rush so bad and I say we but I'm not including that we all on your own for that <laughs> love you BK fam but I'm life and death in the power of the tongue I'm not trying to be included in that we so there are some out there <laughs> there are some people out there who um look for that high that very very intense feelings and I think because in toxic and abusive relationships and whether it's in any form the highs are really high and the lows are low or the lows are so low that when they do the bare minimum of niceness that it can feel really really high and that's another reason why the bar is set in hell when it comes to standards for women Okay, (laughs) because guys will do the most basic things or give like the most simple compliment. We're like, wow, I haven't heard that. Or I don't remember the last time a guy just said something nice just to say something nice. And he's not literally trying to say something nice to have sex with the girl. Like the bar is set in hell. Okay, like men can't just have manners anymore without being like, you unicorn, come here, you unicorn. Like that's how bad it is out here. And it's so sad. It's so sad. I want better for all of us, for the men and the women involved, but especially the girls. My goodness, it's sad out here. And I think it's really unfortunate that some people from different um, experiences with other people and different experiences in life will have that desire to chase that high. So those are just some of the reasons why some people may view healthy relationships as boring and the toxic ones as fun. I mean, the highs are highs, the lows are lows, and my goodness, the emotional roller coasters. People get a rush from regular roller coasters. Do you think they're not going to rush from the emotional roller coasters? That's why in the the podcast episode that I did, 
titled Compassion Fatigue, I definitely talked about how watching somebody in an abusive relationship is like watching an addict be addicted to the bottle, the needle, whatever it may be, just for the simple fact of um, they can't help it and they love something so hard and so much that's killing them. And watching somebody in an abusive and or just toxic relationship really gives me empathy for addicts period because a lot of people think they just chose this life they just picked this but maybe they want out like maybe they don't want to die maybe they don't want this pain but there's nothing else that they can do or maybe depending on what they're addicted to their high was so good on it that they are consistently chasing that high and that's kind of the same how it is for when you're in a toxic or an abusive relationship it's like that first hit of something really really strong Um, that high is so good that now you're looking for that same level of intensity again. And just to remember what we talked about in the beginning of how maybe if they're only connecting with you during sex, maybe it's not that special. Maybe that's just the only time that you get to connect with them. So you've romanticized it in your brain to hype it up more than it is. I'm not saying that it has to be bad. I'm not saying that it has to, you know, not feel great. It can feel great, but it may not be as great as it can. It not even, it's not even a may. I know for a fact, it's not as great as it can be. If you can have mind-blowing sex and a person still doesn't have to treat you like shit just for the mind-blowing sex. Like you can get you can be treated well and have mind-blowing sex. Just a PSA in case people didn't know out there that um yeah, there's a world of possibilities. And settling for the toxic ones, settling for the negative ones, settling for the bad ones is just not smart behavior. And we move out of wisdom, right, BK fam? Right. <laughs> So the final point that I want to talk about is about settling. Well, really that I really kind of want to read from because this is from the holistic psychologist. Remember, you can follow her on IG. I'm not sure if she has other social media, but I follow her on IG. This is the holistic psychologist post. And because we discussed settling um, in some forms a little bit earlier, this reminded me of a post she recently did. And I want to read it to you guys. She said, don't settle. You deserve the steady love that heals your nervous system, expands your soul, and calms you when you hear their voice. And then in the caption, she said, authentic love is a spiritual experience, a practice, a commitment, a discipline of coming back to each other over and over again. What does steady love mean to you. And honestly, I was going to end it right there, but I'm kind of curious to some of the comments. So let's read some of the comments and see what does a steady love mean to others. One person said, settling for something less than you deserve is a childhood response to you feeling your needs are too much or don't matter. It's a false belief. So don't make it your reality. You matter. Period, queen. Somebody else said, this was timely. I told my mother today how exhausted I am from dating, but I am also proud that I haven't lowered my standards. Not settling is truly going to be worth the spiritual experience one day. And I trust that with a fiery passion. Keep it, keep it. You should trust it. No point in settling. 
Another person said, to experience authentic love, we need to access and live in our authentic self. Partners truly mirror everything to you that you haven't worked through. My partner reflected back all my masks, which initially were shocking, scary, and, and comforting. It didn't feel peaceful at all. At first, because I wore so many masks that my family shaped me to have, this was my normal. I now have authentic love with him because I've worked through the mask and the pain I was holding on to about relationships. This takes intentional work. Another person said, plus for so many of us, we're still repeating the same dysfunction we saw growing up. But then one day we say, fuck this. I'm no longer available for this toxic mess. Then you dive deep into healing and realize everything you need has been within you. Always. What does Pastor Mike from TC say? All you have is all you need. And what a... I threw that in. This isn't her comment. Back to her comment. And what a blessing to be able to share the gift with someone who wants to go on this journey with you. Oh my God, I love love. Everything always begins and ends with you. I tell my clients, thank you for this one. And then the final one I will say is, yes, the thing I wish I knew sooner. I had to give myself that love first and a lot of love that was pure self-acceptance for exactly who I am when I spent most of my life trying to prove my worthiness. So I had to feel that safe love within me first. And a lot of times it starts with us guys, even if we are in some healthy that we may deem as boring and maybe because we don't, we may internalize, we don't even think we deserve something good. We may be trying to chase that constant high. You never really know. But the most important thing that was said by the holistic side psychologist is literally you deserve the steady love that heals your nervous system okay we don't need to be walking around here anxious upset crying mad frustrated all the time that kills stress kills being emotionally up and down kills it's not healthy for any of us and so what I wish for all my BK fam is happiness healthy relationships whether platonic or romantically and just to live life to the fullest no matter what financial hardships come no matter what hardships in life whether financial or not and just live your life to the fullest take the risk and enjoy love some people are afraid to take the risk and dive into it love can be scary but like I told someone else recently choose your hard choose your scary it's scary before you go in but is it not also scary to not risk it and to possibly miss out on something so much more magical so much more greater and so much more beautiful I don't know. You tell me. Pick your hard, choose your scary, and then after you jump into it, you never know. You may start swimming. It's not a guarantee that you're going to drown. You may start swimming, and baby, you may love the feel of the ocean. So that's all the time that we have for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and I can't wait to see what we talk about next time. All right, guys. Bye. Blank curves, blank curves